Happy New Year and welcome to The Green Majority. My name is M.A. Ma and I'm here in the studio with my co-hosts, Stefan Hostetter. How you doing? And Kevin Farmer. Who is currently teching, so he yes, also is, so. He's, he's staring very intently at, at a board. <laughs> and so Kevin's going to hop into the conversation when inspiration strikes, but we <laughs> are appreciative of him teching today. If you're listening to us live on CIUT 89.5, or if you're tuned into one of our wonderful community partners, or if you've downloaded the podcast, we'd like to wish all our listeners a really happy new year and hope that 2016 is off to a good start. I have to admit that 2016 isn't quite rolling off the tip of my tongue yet, (laughs) (laughs) but we've got to get used to it. So we're going to keep the show a little uh, free form this, uh, this episode. Um, I don't know if you tuned into us last week, but we spoke about everything from Ebola to drones to setting up a government unit staffed with sci-fi nerds. Oh, you missed dear. that one, Stefan. Oh, man. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I'll accept missing that one. <laughs> the sci-fi nerds is where, I, where, I, where I'm off the ship. <laughs> well, we might have to just pick that up later on in the new year. But anyways, so we want to just kick off the discussion today. Um, we're going to do a little bit of looking back as well as looking forward. And, you know, I feel that 2015, we really came into it with a lot of very high expectations when it came to climate. Of course, 2015 culminated in COP21 in Paris. And for many people who are working on climate issues or consider themselves to be part of the climate movement, um, there's a huge amount of energy spent in mobilizing around this. So, Stefan, I wanted to throw it to you. Do you think we really saw the kind of groundswell that we were hoping for in 2015? So this, this may be the hangover talking. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a page out of Kevin Farmer's book and say no, uh, I have no use for hope. Uh, no, oh, wow. <laughs> no, that's not entirely true. Uh, I don't think we actually saw the grand swell to change everything. Obviously, I think I, that's I, th- I feel like anyone who was going to argue that 2015 uh, changed everything uh, is is in some way lying to you. Uh, the question of whether or not. It, it was a, it was a good year. I think actually it was a it was a remarkable year for climate uh, in a in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, but at this point in the stage, it it did not. We're not coming in 2016 being blown away. What like this New Year's in 2016 is the exact same as 2015 uh, in far of in in, in in so far as the entire culture shift that would actually be required to make that uh, that change. Um, whether or not. You know, with with you know, there's a whole bunch of wins that I'm sure that could be rattled off. Uh, you know, with Keystone XL and and a agreement in Paris, mm-hmm. like a not complete failure, uh, and and a whole bunch of other small and big wins that you can you you'd find. But we we sort of need something bigger, uh, and and I think t- this year may have laid the groundwork for that. That's a possibility. I'm willing to accept that. It, mm-hmm. it, 2015 may be looked back as a year that actually sort of began a shift. Uh, but for the level of change that was required, we it, there's changing everything is a very very is a very audacious goal, uh, and, and and for good reason. Uh, but we it didn't it didn't see that level of change. Right, and you know I think there was a lot of discussion around high level long range goals this year. We look at like goals set forward by a number of organizations like 100% clean by 2050. And, you know, those North Stars are really important in terms of guiding a movement. Um, But my sense is coming out of COP21 is that what's absolutely critical is what kind of path are we going to chart 
starting now in the next five years, what are what are the tangible goals um, that are going to be laid for 20, 2020 and 2025? Because we're never going to reach those sort of North Star goals mid-century um, if we don't start doing the hard work or if our governments don't start mm-hmm. doing the hard work and really commit to, to quite strong measures right from the get-go. You know, COP21 laid the ground for an agreement that doesn't actually kick off until um, 2020, but there's a lot of work to be done now. Yeah, uh, and, you're, and, th- and th- that's really it, right? Is that without a actual with, – without step by step by step by step, we're not going to get there. Uh, and I think that's the other part about this that is, that is so interesting is that there's a lot of work that sort of that in my mind, uh, civil society and and and, and, and climate focused people uh, need to need to start working on right now, uh, and a lot of that is building the capacity uh, to provide this this ability to um, to 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 change everything in reality. Uh, you know, the, like uh, when Kevin and I had a had a show a couple weeks ago, we discussed. I briefly tried to argue for the for for. In defense of progress, um, one part of that defense uh, really is that there's this. The goal we have is is ridiculous. The goal we have basically is a is a is a is a just tearing down the financial institutions we've created to some extent. Uh, you know, like you, to to presume that the all the oil infrastructure and all of the all of the money currently existing in oil stocks uh, needs to be totally wiped out is a massive ask. Uh, and so for us to change everything us for us to do that for us to literally just remove all of that those those assets uh we need to have built a system under underneath it to support the people who will be affected by that right and and i think we can agree that there isn't the political will to do that Mm. right now (laughs) what you're talking about some people would balk at hearing that um articulated in any sort of form of of public policy but what i what i want to put to you guys is that what we have seen is growing at least public awareness and and a relatively high uptake of the the media in, in covering climate issues that perhaps we hadn't seen in the past so I would really like to see us, you know, integrating this these important climate-related issues a lot more into the mainstream and, and really branching out from that. What say you, Kevin? Oh, hi, everyone. I've got all these lights and dials figured out now. <laughs> um, well, okay, if we're doing sort of a retrospective and a look forward, climate-wise, I think the, the most significant news from this last year <laughs> is going to be um, that last year is going to turn out to be the hottest year on record. Mm. And it's going to beat the previous record by a record amount. <laughs> and the last record was set all the way back in last year, or the year <laughs> before last year. So with COP, what we have now is a sea change in the sense that everyone's admitting what needs to be done, but no one's committing in any way, shape, or form to actually doing it. So if that's progress... Yay, progress. <laughs> but maybe we could actually do something. Uh, the other significant news, though, about last year is that it's probably going to turn out to be that um, the case that global carbon emissions dropped by half a percent. Maybe. It's possible. The year before last year, this is hard to say now because it's the, day, the, the first day of a new year. Um, as, and Stefan remarked on this on a previous show. Oh, is yeah, that, that in, in 2014, uh, global carbon emissions plateaued in a year mm. where the economy, the global economy still grew. And one 
one uh, year does not a trend make in any way, shape, or form. But but even so, that was still an extraordinary fact, uh, uh, un- unimaginable actually. Like that, that 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 could have happened just by accident. That there was not <laughs> there was not some sort of uh, something underneath that that was not a blip uh, to whether it was a trend or not it was a significant non-trend let's put it that way there we go. I'll take it and and this year it's possible when we crunch the numbers for uh, the year just past 2015 it might turn out to be the case that emissions dropped by half a percent uh, while the economy grew now <laughs> so at that rate however <laughs> at, at, at decreasing emissions by half a percent a year um, which is good. That's exponential decay, and we'll 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 cut our global emissions in half in another 134 or 38 years. I work this out, but I forget. So, so mid June in 2050 something, uh, or or 2150 something, I guess is when we'll have 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 our emissions at that rate. And of course, that's you know facetious. The question is, is that rate increasing or not? So the interesting thing about that is that I'm not sure how that was accomplished. <laughs> I'm really not. Um, if I had to guess, I would say, you know, it's some, some massive infrastructure projects in, in countries like, uh, China, but also the fact that alternative energy, quote unquote, alternative energy <laughs> is just becoming competitive. And, you know, so when we look at COP again, it's, uh, it's, I can see why all of the various participants needed to signal that they were achieving something. I can see why they might. I can see why people who are actors in that in that dialogue might want to signal that we've make you know the NGOs need to show they're relevant. The politicians need to show they're taking action, and the business community needs to show they're they're not the bad guys. They're not they're not resisting this anymore. But uh, but it's still it's still uh, it, it, it it it's it's still not actual. It's not action of any of any sort. So. Uh, so, and I, sorry, I lost my thread there. Uh, my, um, I got distracted by the lights and dials and all these things flashing at me. It's too much. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, someone pick up with that because yeah, it'll, so it'll come back. I, to I me. think you you put your finger on actually one of the the biggest challenges of the the climate movement in that it's the time scale. You know, we've seen various social issues, if I could characterize it that way, take time to take root in our society. But here we have a massive challenge before us, and we don't have time to nicely socialize it into the mainstream. We have to attack it, maybe it's the wrong choice of words, with mm. a great sense of, of urgency. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out and say that I solidly disagree with anyone who's characterized COP21 as, quote unquote, a failure. And I'll tell you why. There was a huge amount of grassroots effort that went into putting certain things on the agenda, um, issues around accountability of high-income countries, um, you know, working together with communities and countries that are on the, the front lines of climate change to, to insert language around that 1.5 degrees Celsius. And that Regardless of whether, uh, you know, uh, wealthy countries or the business community want to tout COP21 as a success, I feel a lot of credit needs to go to the grassroots. So, Stefan, what I'd like to put to you is, you know, how do we make sure that those grassroots folks who really have worked tirelessly over the last year and, you know, some people for decades, frankly, um, how do we keep them motivated? How do we keep the movement growing so that we don't see any sort of either post-cop complacency or people just feeling deflated after such a year of exertion? 
Man, the question of activist burnout, I think, is one that you could that's been asked for ages. Uh, I think, to some extent, I think twenty fifteen uh, saw a bunch of things that is are, that are motivating in themselves. You know, uh, defeating uh, Keystone XL is is exactly that. Uh, and I think the fact that there continues to be an energy in East and you know and other and, and sort of other and even Line Nine right now is is, is coming back and is is being retargeted actually by, by activists. Um, I think the the consistency of this new and new the, the because the next thing is so obvious. Uh, I think I'm not actually that concerned that we're going to see that sort of thing. And because there's a as as much as I uh, I'm with you uh, and I think that a COP21 is can't be a, it, it may not be called be able to call it be, be it may not be able to be called a success, but it also cannot be called right. a failure. Uh, the the activist community and and so the people who the grassroots are are expect so much more. Uh, and and while I, sometimes I, I like you know I would take a step back and be like it's it's you know guys it's okay uh, like this wasn't a terrible deal the the the, the true front lines are not accepting it to some extent you know the, 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 and that's fair enough I think oh no one hundred percent they they would not accept something that is substandard even well, if we don't characterize it as a failure well exactly yeah yeah exactly yeah, it's it's it, you, and you can't accept it right it there, it, it, it it alone doesn't. Well, it alone doesn't do anything, uh, and it alone, uh, even if it's acted on, doesn't do enough. So, so both actions of I, I saw this one line of uh, of uh, <laughs> I think it was a Huffington Post article. I forget what kind of article it was that just said uh, uh, environmental activists promise that COP will create more activism or something like that. Uh, and I think that's that's exactly the tack that a they're taking uh, to some to very very much, you know. It, it, I think the I think the stoppages of Line Nine are proof of that. You know, days after COP, we someone walked into a uh, into a into a kind of p- weirdly unsecure uh, you know pipeline uh, and then just turned it off, which is mm-hmm. I, I, I and. And then and then chain themselves to it to keep it off for as long as possible. And I think that kind of action, it, it, so shortly after COP, proves that this movement is not sobbing. Uh, it's an entirely different question how we can grow it, however. Yes, that is true. And and really, how do we put the screws to to government? You know, um, governments around the world have kind of been riding high on what was achieved. And you know, our our own current government promised that within 90 days, they would come back with a new platform. We've talked extensively on the show how uh, Canada's climate position was really suboptimal that we went in with a (laughs) carbon reduction emission target um, that was not in line with climate science, not in line with keeping global average temperature rise below two degrees Celsius, let alone 1.5. So for me, you know, coming out of COP21, I'm like, okay, it's time to get to work. And, yeah. you know, you're, you've talked about, Stefan, like an individual action of somebody um, putting themselves <laughs> right in, in the lo- the path of a, a pipeline, essentially. But also, I mean, you know, we can't let our, our government off the hook in terms of putting in really firm measures that are actually going to realize some of the commitments they're talking about. Our environment minister... Um, came out and said that Canada supports the 1.5 degrees Celsius. Now, that's new, um, given that we've had a government change. But what does that actually mean in terms of, uh, in terms of progress? Man, uh, it means at least we're saying the right things now. I think that's about as far as you can go. Uh, whether or not we're doing it will is again is, is still be seen, and I think that's I think that's the the massive hesitancy around COP is that while everyone can come and say it and come and and leave until you know we, 
the we the fact I actually know the fact that we actually our emissions produced by 0.5 percent uh, this year, which is fantastic news. Uh, and and perhaps the, perhaps that's the one win. Maybe maybe 2015 will be remembered as the year that we actually started reducing carbon emissions. Maybe that's the that's the thing. And what's crazy about me is that's not anywhere. Yeah. You want to have one thing that should be shouted from the rooftops to not only mobilize the climate movement but actually make people think it's possible? Tell people that. And it's nowhere in the mainstream media. I haven't seen it anywhere. So, I learned so from what, Kevin right now. If you had to tell Catherine McKenna just one thing, what would you be telling her, Stefan? Oh, man. Uh, I would tell her it's possible and, and not to be scared of it, honestly. I think, I think that's the like, – that's – we're not doing it. We're not, we're not taking a decisive action because we're convinced it will destroy something. It's that, it's that kind of like this weird fear. It's like, oh, no, it will destroy something. Let's not try to do stuff. Uh, whereas we, it's proven it's possible. And, and audacious goals – like human ingenuity is, is, is a remarkable thing. And I, you know, it's funny that human ingenuity – that term almost is a right-wing concept at this point uh, because the, uh, it's, it's used to mean we, therefore we can, don't have to do act, make, to take action on climate change. Yeah. Uh, but, but it can be used in the opposite direction. It, it, you know, if we actually just went out and tried, went out and actually were like, okay, well, here's our goal. How can we make this happen? We could pull it off. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I would tell Yeah, just to jump in, and before I forget again, <laughs> the, to finish the thought I had earlier, the, um, you know, uh, I, I can see reasons why everyone might want to, to show that they've they'd made a lot of progress in these talks. But the other thing I think people are trying to accomplish by signaling a lot of, of quote-unquote progress at COP21 is that they're trying to stampede the markets. Mm. And and they're trying to message the markets, and I think mm. I think I think without a doubt that's a subtext to what's going on. That might be an admission of being not being able to take action really, yeah. and and to try to sort of make it just try to almost create it by fiat. Mm. But it's it's true that it, the markets are about perception, and if people perceive that this change is coming, they will act as as though this this change is coming, uh, and 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 in and in that sense. You know, the, dare I say it, <laughs> uh, to be able to just pick up on what you said, to, to show people, yes, the economy grew and emissions fell. Mm. Uh, it, it, that's a tangible thing that could affect the markets. And if, if people can only do this because they're living in some hopeful future, <laughs> well, then then maybe that, that's the only tangible thing I can see from any of this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a powerful feedback loop there. And now I think we're coming up on our first music break. So I'm going to throw back to Kevin to introduce the artists that we have up. Ask me when it's over. <laughs> I shall impersonate a man. Come, enter into my imagination and see him. Bony, hollow-faced, eyes that burn with the fire of inner vision. He conceives the strangest project ever imagined to become a knight errant and sally forth into the world righting all wrongs. His name, Don Quixote de la Mancha. Hear me now, the bleak and unbearable world, thou art base and debauched as can be. And the knight with his banners all bravely unfurled Now hurls down his gauntlet to thee I am I, Don Quixote, the lord of La Mancha My destiny calls and I go And the wild wings of fortune shall carry me 
wheresoever they blow, onward to glory I go. I plant you, yes, I plant you, I follow my master till the end. I'll tell all the world proudly, I'm his choir. And wizards and servants of sin All your dastardly doings are past For the holy endeavor is now to begin and On that note, onward to okay. glory Okay, I, 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 I need to ask What on <laughs> earth was that, Kevin? <laughs> well, that was the uh, uh, title track, I guess To the, uh, the musical Man of La Mancha uh, the uh, the Don Quixote was sung by the legendary uh, Richard Kiley. I forget, uh, sadly, who 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 Sancho, who was singing Sancho's part there. <clears throat> He's also spectacular. Just his name is escaping me. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking earlier today. Um, if, if you know the story, it's it, this is based on the the famous novel by Cervantes, Don Quixote, and this is where we get the term tilting at windmills mm. because Don Quixote went mad essentially. And in his quest to be a knight errant, ridding the world of evil and, and uh, fighting the good fight, uh, he, he perceived the, a windmill as a demon or a dragon, I forget which, and charged it in his, in his knight uh, regalia. And, and so the, this, thus entered the idiom tilting at windmills as a, as a, as a, a metaphor for, for futility. And earlier this morning, I was musing about environmental activism, <clears throat> and I was thinking... You know, sometimes it feels futile, hmm. but then by the same token, sustainability is inevitable. So opposing environmentalism, environmental activism might also be futile, but either way, the metaphor of tilting at windmills <laughs> works as a metaphor for the futility of either <laughs> activism or opposing activism. Yeah, I don't know. We, we may be getting some mixed metaphors from uh, the, the Don Quixote soundtrack. <laughs> but um, anyways, as, as I said, onward to, onward to glory. So next up, we wanted to have a little bit of a discussion around elections because in Canada here we could we can kind of characterize 2015 as an as an election year <laughs> and uh, we know that looking forward into 2016 our uh, American neighbors to the south are about to go into a major uh, election year that is going to have global impact and so you know looking back and looking Don't forward I- <laughs> looking back and looking forward, um, I wanted to put out the question, and it's a bit of a general question, but are elections good for the climate agenda? If we look at what happened in Canada, we did see climate kind of work its way onto the election agenda. It was in the televised debates. Um, but we we ended off the election on what I'd say is in a way quite uh, a sad note, and I'd characterize it as um, one of the parties falling back to um, a position that was very much about Islamophobia 
And, you know, as opposed to, you know, we were always sort of fearful that, you know, economy was going to be positioned against the climate. But in fact, I think the election agenda was in fact dominated by um, a discussion around the hijab and some very Islamophobic sentiment. Um, so looking at what happened in the Canadian election, uh, how do we how do we want to sort of anticipate that the American election is going to play out for for climate? And will it be able to maintain some space on the agenda or not? What do you think, Stefan? I feel like I, I love how the, at the beginning of both these questions, I guess it's going to be super negative. But I, 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 the, I, elections are not good for the environment. I, I can't I have not I've yet to see an election that was <coughs> that actually prioritized uh, the conversation about climate change. Uh, you know, it's. It's not – I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a sexy topic or something. I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, I think it has to do with a, a sort of a, a, a difficulty of really grasping it to some extent. Um, or actually probably more accurately, it's that people who care about climate change really care about climate change. And the middle swing voters aren't being swung by that conversation. That's not where their mind is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, their mind is going every other different way. And so because of that, it never becomes a massive issue because that's not where the votes are. Uh, and as far as the American election, I'm I'm not overly optimistic. You know, the the Republicans managed to have an entire debate about national security without talking about climate change, uh, and not surprisingly. Well, exactly, <laughs> um, but exactly, it's not surprising. That's a po- like it's it's it it's in the, in the, in the states you can't even get the Republicans to admit climate change exists. The, there's one of them, one of them, Kasich actually thinks that climate change exists, but he still doesn't want to do anything about it. And then there's and then you have, you have eight different forms of denial basically uh, on, on on in the American elections right now and so to it, it doesn't even you can't have a conversation about climate change if 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 the Democrats are saying it exists we should do something and Republicans are saying are basically saying nah 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 I don't hear you and it's because of that since you can't act since it can't because of that it can't actually become an election issue uh, because and, until until Republicans want to talk about it at all. Well, you know, we have we have seen the Republicans acknowledge it. I want to they've come they've come that far. <laughs> but, you know, I think also looking at who are the forerunners in the the US elections so far. So we have Hillary Clinton and we have Donald Trump. I don't I, of all the many um, asinine things I've heard him say, I haven't heard him mention climate change. I don't know if either of you have actually heard those words pass th- from his lips at all. <laughs> there isn't there isn't a GOP candidate left that um, accepts uh, climate change, and and the 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 their 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 positions range from out and out denial to sort of whateverish kind of responses, <laughs> and it it is it is bizarre that they had a debate about national security. Without mentioning climate change, because as I have been pointing out for many years on this show, uh, the Pentagon has been listing climate change as as a signi- shortlisting climate change as a significant threat to American national security since tw- uh, 2002. So for the last four quadrennial defense reviews that they have published, they've shortlisted climate change. In 2010, it had its own section. And if, if you're if we're just and it, you know, if we're talking about anything anymore without uh, addressing the, the environmental angle, whatever we're discussing is not contextualized in the real world. And with respect to the recent Canadian election, the Canadian mainstream media let themselves get led around by the nose. We had an 11-week campaign. You would think in 11 weeks there would be time to a- have serious discussions about anything. <laughs> 
which elections are famously not good times for serious discussions. Uh, Kim Campbell was was excoriated for making a, a comment to that effect uh, many years ago when mm-hmm. she she's paraphrased. This is not what she said, but it has been paraphrased as saying um, famously as, as saying, you know, elections just aren't a time. It, it, campaigns are not a, a good time to, to have deep discussions about policy. When are we going to have them? But you would think in an eleven-week campaign, we would, we would find time for these sensible discussions. And no, they just they just got consumed by the, the they let themselves get led around by the nose and just amplify the noise. And when the and then we we were just utterly dominated by the niqab. And have you heard a word about a niqab since? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and I think I think that's also I think that Kevin makes a fantastic point, which is that to some extent, without. Uh, Without actual, without, without the, me, the media, to some extent, just gets to decide what needs to get talked about in a, in a very real sense, you know. And and what was interesting about the Canadian election was that there was a very different conversation happening in social media to some extent than there was in regular media, you know. In, in that, in, if you followed any of the sort of the threads about the Canadian election, there was an entire separate conversation almost happening uh, outside of the outside of the outside of the media conversation. Uh, but but some like and again, as as, as much as I you, I want to in some sense blame the media for for really failing us on the on 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 not actually covering major issues. People in social media were equally obsessed with 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 petty arguments to some extent, which you know, shocking. People on the internet are obsessed with petty arguments. Uh, I'm really breaking news here, uh, but quick, someone tweet that out. exactly right. Uh, I'll, I'll get a bunch of negative comments. It'd be great. Uh, we'll, we'll, we've created an infinite news loop for ourselves, and we'll never actually provide real news, which is to some extent what's happening. I think so. But I guess you know when when one of the major parties that has been critical of the hijab and then turns the niqab into a major political platform right in the the closing stages of election. I guess it's not surprising that the media would pick it up and that the other parties would contest it. Um, But I also think that um, it's hard to, as we've talked about on the show, create that space, push out that space in mainstream media. And I've been been following with interest sort of these Trudeau trackers because the media Mm -hmm. has, and I think, you know, to their credit, been following up on whether he and his, he and his government are, are, keeping on track in terms of living up to their political commitments. And I saw the the cover of one of the Toronto papers uh, last week, which had a few check marks of the things that he's committed to. And they had a check mark against climate change. And I thought, geez, I mean, he himself said within 90 days, you know, of coming back from COP21, and they're already giving him a, a check mark in terms of covering that ground. So it just sort of, I think, to me, illustrates the fact um, that we can't, we can't rely on media to determine whether something to measure whether something has been, you know, achieved in in a tangible sense or not. I want to I want to go back though to the US election because whether we like it or not, the US election outcome has a major global impact and it certainly will impact on on climate change both in terms of US domestic policy um but what we see happening in the world and you know, we've we've already seen that the outcome of COP21 was influenced by American po- politics very profoundly. Uh, as we know, the Republicans currently hold both houses of government in the U.S. And I believe that Obama felt that we couldn't make COP21 legally binding because it would never be accepted um, by the Republicans. So we're already seeing the U.S. having quite a significant impact on a global agreement outcome. 
So, you know, the question I want to put out there is, as you know, some of us are, are not American, we can't vote in this election, but it's going to impact our lives. Are we just bystanders? Or is there something we can actually do about this? I think to some extent, uh, people understand people are watching, uh, you know, heaven forbid I bring up his name. But when when Toronto's mayor was Rob Ford, it it was an interesting impact on Toronto's identity to some extent. Uh, you know, we uh, tr- we we were sort of Torontonians almost world. You know, whenever they went out, had to answer for Rob Ford's existence to some extent. And I feel like the United <laughs> States is having the exact same reaction to to, to Donald Trump. Uh, for instance, I I, went, I I quickly googled Donald Trump climate change, and the first thing that popped up was some tweets he had made, including one in October, which says it's really cold outside. They are calling it a major freeze, weeks ahead of normal. Man, we could really use a fat, big fat dose of global warming. Uh, that was like from two months ago. Oh, he's he's just not sticking his thermometer in the right place. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, well, and, and not to mention the entire East Coast has been crazy warm this entire time, and so unless he was unless he was somewhere else, he is also just wrong. Uh, but I think so. I think uh, I, I think there's some sense there is things people can do outside. I, 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 you know, paying attention, uh, mockery. I think is a, is effective to some extent. But is you know, in terms of his potential support base, um, mm. will that make people defiant? I guess if we, yes. if we collectively yeah. mock, <laughs> it's so <laughs> yes. it's so tempting. He makes it so easy. But if we collectively mock him, will that uh, negatively impact his support base? Or you know, don't assume Donald Trump can't get elected. I mean, you just referred to Rob Ford, who was right. the mayor. <laughs> yeah. And might have been again, for all we know, uh, he dropped out of the last mayoral race for health reasons. We elected Harper three times in a row. (laughs) To suppose Donald Trump couldn't get elected to dismiss him as some, you know, buffoon, which he is. And I can suggest some places for that thermometer. (laughs) Um, But I think that I think I think there's a dangerous prospect. And it's perplexing to watch how how the Western democracies seem to be becoming entirely more polarized uh, on on issues. There is just becoming a much starker sort of left right, and I hate the spectrum. I hate using that thing, mm-hmm. but the but there, there's some validity to that broad brushstroke, and and to the extent that that's a valid broad characterization. We seem to be becoming entirely more polarized on issues, and 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 it's a social divide, I think, and and Trump strikes me as a fascinatingly dangerous mix of dangerous things, and and uh, yeah, I mean to 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 use Rob Ford as a springboard to mentioning him, it it really is worth noting that Rob Ford was elected by us and might have been again. Yeah. yeah, and I th- I think it's a it's a really and we and we were mocked actually by <laughs> by, <laughs> by our our U.S. Uh, our U.S. friends um, and and perhaps rightly so. But I think maybe you know when I'm thinking about what the climate movement needs to think about in 2016, it's actually reaching out in a non uh, a non negative non uh, critical way and and bringing people in and and bringing bringing people in that we would traditionally view as being so polar opposite, holding such polar opposite views to our own. But the reality is that we are seeing these swings here in 
in Toronto. Um, we've seen it, and you know we're seeing the potential um, for extreme polarization uh, in the U.S. And to me, that says that we need a different long-term strategy in terms of how we start to to tackle and socialize some of these these issues. It blows my mind that. The the process by which the environment has become a political issue just just astonishes me. It is the least partisan issue imaginable. We're we're all in this spaceship together, <clears throat> and uh, if I have a home test, I'll remind people I have a home test to mm-hmm. to to see to see how environmentally minded you are. Ask yourself the following three questions, and then and then add them up to get your score. Uh, do you breathe air? Do you, do you drink water? And do you eat food? Now add up your score. <laughs> if you got three out of three, you're 100% environmentally minded. Yeah. And, and, and it's... Like it's just not a political issue. It, right. It's simply it, it, how it has become a political idea. The environment has become a political ideology, honestly. And maybe, maybe the, you know, uh, the, the quote-unquote environmental movement has a stake in that for the tone or the language or whatever over the years. But, I mean... The environmental movement is not some monolithic entity with a PR department, and it's 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 without a doubt a, a, a an amorphous uh, sensibility that is propagated through time and people, and and you know so maybe maybe people can you know uh, criticize the the quote unquote movement for for its attitude or its language or its tone or whatever over the years, but uh, seriously, we're messing with the the life support mechanisms on our spaceship and, and how we all don't have a stake in that is a mystery to me. And I, and I think it's, well, I think that's a, it's a response. Uh, I, I think that I, I find it interesting. So the, I think the politicization of the environment has been an interesting response to the fact that environmental action was so vehemently opposed uh, by business interests and, it, and and basically any party that is responding any party that is that is that is being co-opted by business interests uh, has has created this anti-environment sort of system set. And, and and I think some I think a lot of what you saw as the environmentalism rising from the left came out of this uh, Sort of weird this opposition to some extent you know people came up and it's like presuming everyone would be like because twenty years ago like environmentalists came in all stripes and colors uh, you know there was there were Republican environmentalists there were not there there you know uh, and now you know something like Bob English or Inglis uh, is a Republican senator who believed in climate change and that was enough to lose him his his seat uh, to a different Republican because he believed in climate change uh, and so I think some it, it's a it, it, the people in the right often accuse climate change uh, or accuse the left of using climate change to sort of impro- to push their their other agendas uh, and I think in reality what actually happened was there was a very sensible action to make uh, one half of the world decided that they were not going to take that action because of very rich people said they shouldn't and then so environmentalism filled up the rest of the space uh, which ended up only being the left because the right wasn't an option And we are going to pick up that thread. But right now, it's time to go to our second music break. Kevin, what do you have for us? Oh, and without a trace of irony um, (laughs) in in the wake of discussion about politicians and elections, this is the lowest of the low, singing (laughs) Salesman Cheats and Liars.
If you're just tuning in now, this is the Green Majority. We are broadcasting live from CIUT 89.5 on this New Year's Day. Or you may be tuned in to one of our terrific community radio partners, or you perhaps have downloaded our podcast. So we are in the midst of a riveting discussion, and I'm going to flip it back to Stefan. Uh, yeah, so... The this sort of connects to the last thing we want to talk about, and I, and I think earlier you asked uh, what what we need to do or what the climate can can sort of do to to change any to really to, you know to demand does it, and I think to some extent this actually also this shows the example I'm going to get to shows also how hard it is to push the media to talk about something to some extent, uh, and and how even if you have a fantastic strategy that is that is that is doing things. Uh, if invested interests don't want to talk about what your thing is, uh, they still won't. Uh, because what I want to get to is the climate movement has the climate, so the climate movement can learn a lot uh, from the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, if you want to, if you want to look at an example right now of a pl of, of a set of people who are forcing their agenda. onto mainstream conversations, uh, they are they are the they are the they are the people doing it. They are the ones doing it. They're the ones showing they're doing it. They're they're succeeding in 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 enforcing everyone to have that kind of conversation uh, over and over and over again. And they're doing it in fascinating ways in 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 pushing in all these different directions. And I think that example uh, is something that we could learn from. However, at the same time, they're also showing just how hard it is that when entrenched lobby entrenched lobbies and interests don't want to actually pay attention to you, uh, and in sort of in, you know the just entrenched overarch overarching sort of level of this white supremacy that exists in our in our society uh, refuses to listen to you, how how powerful that can still be, and how much and how 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 Sisyphusian pushing this boulder can feel. So, the Black Lives Matter movement was born out of. Uh, gross injustices, and we've seen a lot of court cases um, that they've campaigned on actually not go in their favor. Of course, um, you know it's not that any any movement can directly exert control over a, a court decision or a judge's decision, um, but we continue to see the Black Lives Matter movement be strong and occupy significant space in the mainstream media. So, so what is it that? Exactly that the climate movement can learn. Do you think, Stefan, from that? I, I, I think it. I think it shows just what is necessary to uh, to demand a conversation, uh, especially as marginalized organizations. And you know, and, and it was in, it, as an aside that the, the overarching whiteness of of environmentalists uh, both probably works and doesn't work in in the environmentalists' favor. Uh, in for different way in different ways, uh, but I think the idea. I, I think what 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 we what you, what they're showing really is that protest and 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 disruption is the only way uh, that's ever proven to demand a conversation. Uh, 
Uh, and, th- and that's all. And the, 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 the key there is that that's all it actually can ever accomplish is demanding a conversation. Uh, it's very, very difficult for it to actually then push forward any, any real action. Uh, you know, you can keep demanding that conversation until the conversation goes your way, but at, at best, you're really demanding he'll come to the table. Yeah, and I, I would also add, though, that with Black Lives Matter, you know, one thing that be, beyond sort of disruption and, and demanding the attention of the media quite successfully, it's about adding a new dimension to how we look at how lives are valued, um, adding a new dimension to that conversation. We've seen this actually applied to climate now, the concept of Black Lives Matter and how if certain neighborhoods, if certain countries even were that are are populated largely by people of color um, were – we're given the same status as I guess the implication is white lives in this case, that we would be approaching the the climate change issue a lot differently. That's the arguments being made. And, you know, a lot of the conversations that have been held in 2015 within the climate movement is transitioning the discussions towards the concept of climate justice. Now, Stefan, do you think that this is uh, the concept of climate justice and, you know, putting communities and that are directly impacted by climate change on the forefront of these discussions, is this taking root in a mainstream way or is this very much a conversation that's still being had within the, the climate movement and within the communities that are directly impacted? Uh, okay. So I would say it's, it's taken root within the movement. Uh, I would argue that maybe 2015 is actually a bit of a, of a brown, groundbreaking year to some extent, maybe 2014 uh, as well. Uh, of of demanding that climate justice be the f- f- first and foremost conversation, and I think and I think it, it so I think within the movement it has very successfully uh, done so, and I think at this point you can't have a conversation about climate change without talking about climate justice. Arguably, I think the conversation, the, the, arguably, I would change the entire movement to being called climate justice because uh, it's the only way we're going to win, and it's the only way to actually approach this pr- approach this as a as a larger whole. Uh, I think it's still very, 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 very much not uh, a mainstream conversation. Uh, we're still – we are not seeing that this conversation being being held out anywhere else uh, than within the climate movement. Uh, and and the idea that climate change is connected uh, very deeply is not – is not something that's, you know, if you ask a random person on the street, they're going to talk about just carbon and it's going to be a numbers crunching sort of game, right? Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be all numbers. It's going to be like, well, we can move, this, move these dials this way and this way and this way and then everything will be fine. Uh, and I think that's very, very much how car- climate change, the conversation around climate change is still being seen uh, despite the fact that I think the movement itself is actually moving that direction. So we'll see if, you know, anyone, if they catch up. Uh, yeah, that's, always been the problem is how to <laughs> how to personalize uh the environment how to put a face on it really and and you know to the extent that this is working sure to the, that's fabulous to the extent that this is promoting uh, uh the causes of racism or the causes of, of fighting racism and the and environmental activism then sure the the, the worry here though is that when you're talking when you're talking about climate change there, there is such a lag time between cause and effect and if we're waiting to manage this by crisis, well, every crisis we encounter at this point was set in motion 20 or 30 years ago. We can't undo anything that, that we consider a crisis today. That's just part of the new normal. 
we really need to be, and I know it's abstract and it's, it, no one likes this, but the fact is we need to be reacting to the, the consequences of our actions that are 20 or 30 years in the future. Cause that's the only thing we can still avoid. And you know, Michael Mann has, uh, you know, in his opinion, we couldn't avoid 1.7 degrees of warming if we turned it all off today. Now, this minute, that, seriously, unplug, like seriously, we, we go off the air right now to just not uh, use any electricity. That's not going to happen. And, and we're not going off the air. People are not going to unplug their appliances. Everyone's still going to, you know, be driving around and eating food and stuff tomorrow. Like we, so we couldn't, we couldn't, we might not be able to avoid two degrees of warming under any circumstances. And if we're waiting and, and, and that's, that just shows the lag time, you know, like right now, right now we're at about 1.2 degrees of warming over pre-industrial times. We couldn't stop another half a degree if, if we could wave a magic wand right now and stop it. So, you know, what do you do? I mean, we go around and around and around on this issue. Why no one cares? I don't know. <laughs> until, until they feel it affects them personally or it's going to affect their children personally then it just seems that people aren't going to take note. But, you know, fair warning, people, everything that you see now and you're looking around at the extraordinary wildfire seasons, the extraordinary heat waves, the extraordinary droughts, you know, all of this climate chaos that has accompanied uh, this, that, that has been on display over the last year, that's just part of the new normal. And we need to be worried. We're, we're committing to more and worse unless unless we commit to responding to the, you know, consequences that we will not see uh, for several years. Yeah, and I think one of the things in terms of what we can do to sort of harness the weather, which is, as you're saying, Kevin, a, a product of what's happened historically, is is look at appealing to people's better nature. So if we look at, for example, Hurricane Haiyan, this is one of my favorite examples because there was such an outpouring of, you know, humanitarian response, um, you know, from countries like Canada and the U.S. And we are, we'd like to think of ourselves as a compassionate people. I think that's something that resonates with us as Canadians. And Hurricane Haiyan is is the product of uh, historical inaction, if I can put it that way, on on climate change. And we react when disaster strikes. Now, if we are truly compassionate, wouldn't we want to prevent this from happening more uh, and frequently in in the future? And that's a bit of a stretch. So I think what I what I hope we can do is help people. Um, not only appeal to their to their compassion, but also see themselves in this picture and do those things not as mutually exclusive things. So climate change isn't happening to those people over there, but it's happening to all of us. But at the same time, it does impact some people um, more than it impacts others. And we're, we're you know, in Toronto, particularly, um, you know, there are people that the floods impact more than others, but generally we're in a, in a safer climate space than other parts of the world. So how do we bring those two things to the forefront? It impacts us all, um, but we've got to recognize that it impacts us differently. Is that possible, Stefan, for uh, people that are just becoming more familiar with, with climate change as an issue? Uh, maybe. Uh, I think, I think, but I think climate justice is the answer. I think the way, the way to have that conversation uh, is to, is to be, have a new conversation to some extent. You know, uh, we spent 30 years trying to tell people that just like raising carbon is bad uh, and, and reduce, reduce these numbers basically on the spreadsheet. Uh, and that was, you know, I, was, I would say shockingly ineffective, but I think the, it's the opposite. It's very, it's, it was ineffective and you could have very much predicted it. Uh, so I think, but whereas the, and I think that's where the climate justice 
conversation changes. I think the <clears throat> I think the conversation uh, when shifted to climate justice provides a much more real platform uh, and a much more real conversation to be had uh, with us and within you know to your neighbors to anyone uh, just sort of the the linkages of all of these inter- you know. The, the thing about the environment, what, what's you know, so fascinating about it as an issue, uh, is it's connected to everything. Everything is 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 here, uh, and and so we spent so much time per, sort of saying everything is here, but we're not really going to talk about the social aspects of this sort of thing. And I think that was a mistake. I think that the you know we presume that we could just have these big high level NGO, NGOs working with government to solve the problem in a very sort of uh, top down, not sort of adjusting the root cause issues uh, solutions and it didn't work for 30 years and and now we're sort of like well what if we had a different conversation what if we had the conversation that no there are people look at all these people who are right now being impacted look at all these people who will be impacted worse in the future let's raise them up uh, and and in doing so address the problem uh, it, it's, it's similar to the sort of the, the interesting uh, move in development uh, sort of development circles. Uh, you know, development put in quotes because that's a whole a whole different 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 uh, different worm. But when they realize that sort of oh, educating women actually did all of these other things, uh, I think the climate movement can sort of see that as well. What about elevating sort of the 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 the, the lowest. Uh, in our social rung right now, what, what, what about helping the people who need to help the most as as a climate solution? Uh, and I think that's in creating in, 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 in but thereby creating the infrastructure to actually act and to actually survive. I, it's the it's, it's that's the one hope we got. I think. All right, Kevin, do you have any last thoughts? I see we're coming to a close, so we've only got a few more minutes left. Um, what do you think, Kevin? You know, is it about reframing and rethinking how we we think about solutions from a justice lens? Mm. Can't can't do that in two minutes, but uh, <laughs> can't but, do it justice. But, but you make a start. <laughs> but, but maybe, uh, you know, if, if the conversation really needs to change anywhere, it's, it's in mainstream media. Uh, and and you know, to the extent that they've been gushing about COP twenty one, it strikes me that they're not doing. They're 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 really just reading a lot of press releases. They're, they're, they're touting it as the pathway to this, the pathway to that, putting us on a path to zero carbon, putting us on a path to this, that, and the other thing. No, it doesn't. It's entirely aspirational. It's, they keep calling it legally binding. It's not legally binding in any meaningful sense. No one's legally bound to meet their voluntary commitments. They're only legally bound to publish them and update them every <laughs> five years. And even if everyone did meet the commitments they published, that doesn't even put us on a path to necessarily avoiding three degrees of warming. And the thing... You know, mainstream media, call me. I'll help. I really, I'll give you the <laughs> questions because you just talked about uh, Typhoon Haiyan, which was known as Yolanda in the Philippines. It was it was known as a super typhoon. It would have been a category six, I've read, if we had a sixth category for typhoons. And and here we have just this year, I don't know how many articles I've read recently in, in mainstream media going on and on about the bizarre winter we're having and blaming it on a super El Nino and you can't find climate change anywhere in the article. It's like, you know, these things, they're, they're, calling it a super El Nino does not make it a regular. It, it's, it, it's an, it, it, what was I trying to say there? An aberrant, it's, this is an aberrant El Nino. <laughs> calling it a super El Nino doesn't make it a normal super El Nino. It makes it an aberrant El Nino. The same way calling a super typhoon does not suddenly make it a regular super typhoon. It makes it an aberrant typhoon. And the... 
it, they just, you know, until until mainstream media start talking about this with with any sort of reasonable grasp of the basics of the issues, I, I don't I don't see much hope for 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 you know the general public absorbing uh, the message. So Kevin's left us with a thought <laughs> on uh, encouraging, if I can put it that way, the the mainstream media um, to take a different approach to to a deeper approach, a more meaningful approach. Stefan has left us with the thought of, you know, thinking about solutions from the climate justice lens. That is the way forward. And I guess my final thought is really. We all need to, where things have left off on the international stage, where they've left off domestically, whether you're listening to us in Canada or the U.S., is that we've got a lot more work to do on the home front. And I just want to leave you with a message of keep it up. Keep up the good work. We have made progress. Stay strong. Stay inspired. This is going to be a a tremendous year going forward. And I want to thank you all who've been listening to The Green Majority. We do have a feedback line and the number is 1-877-736-3921. And if you like what you've heard today or you want to give us feedback, that's also welcome. But if you want to hear us pick up some of these discussion threads going into 2016, give us a shout and let us know. And you can also get a hold of us and connect to us on Green Majority So we want to thank you again for listening and look forward to spending more time with you in the new year.